How did you find your path? How did you get into this career that you now are walking? I mean, I, I would obviously, as I'm sure every guest would um, start by saying, I'm, I have no path. <laughs> oh, no, I not think... every guest has said that, that you are literally the <laughs> I, first person. I mean, it's certainly true. Obviously, there are a lot of people who are very driven and very focused and they, they've got their five-year plan. Um, but I think there's a, a bigger cohort of people who can draw a path for you from where they were to where they are and from where they are to where they might be. But I, I think, uh, without wishing to cast aspersions on former on previous guests, I think you can retroactively tell that story that actually was never uh, written down ahead of time, and so joining those 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 is, is easy. But I, whenever I have these conversations, which I have reasonably often, I, I will always try to directly address people who perhaps are foundering or who are younger or at an earlier stage in their career or who are disenfranchised in some way. Because I think it's very easy to look at. You know, I'm a cisgender, middle-class, middle-aged white guy in a media career. Hurrah! Well done, me. But I think um, getting to that place has been uh, difficult and, and convoluted and lots and lots of fits and starts and, and weird areas. I said I did graphic design as a degree. I don't use my design degree per se. Um, and I think it's often, there's survivor bias, right? I think a lot of people yeah. can have that thing where they, they, they uh, talk about the, the, those things never did me any harm or it was really obvious I was going to do this. And I think that can be quite disenfranchising for, for particularly for younger folks. So uh, that's the preamble. The, on, the, so the tell the story back angle is when I graduated from university, having done my design degree art school uh, here in Dundee, I, I like computers. I like tech. And I was a reader of a particular magazine in the summer after I graduated from uni. I saw they were asking for a, there, were, there was a job opening on the magazine and I have been in publishing ever since that was in 2002. And I'm here. Um, uh, another thing to, I will say to younger people as well is um, younger people often get told, you know, make your own, make your own future, make your own path, and forge your own way, plow your own furrow. But that can be incredibly hard to do, especially if yeah. you're not particularly confident or if you're from a marginalised or underrepresented community. It can be very, very, very hard to, to find that path. Um, and I will remind them that uh, it was at 39, I think, it was the first time that I ever sort of took my career in hand and did something with it. So I'd been working for a, another uh, part of the company that I work for here in Scotland, and I'd made my own job redundant, which is a good trick if you can pull it off. Um, but I had at that point gone to our chief exec and said, I would like to do podcasts for DC Thompson. And here I am. But it took me a cisgender, middle-aged, middle-class white guy with every privilege in the world. I'm queer, so I, I, you know, I've got some sort of sense of um, uh, that struggle for underrepresented groups. But apart from that, on every other axis, I've got every advantage. And yet it still took me until 39 to go, I am going to do something proactive <laughs> with my career. Right. And so, if you, so I think if people don't feel they can... Uh, take ownership of that journey, I think that's okay. Or rather, I think that's understandable and I think most other people in the world feel like that. Remember that the stories you hear are often from the successful people who have, you know, made that tr transition into a successful career anyway. You don't hear about the 
the people who didn't. I want to, I want, I, I really want to write a self-help book that starts off with my life is currently in shambles. And this is what I'm going to do to try to get out of it. Because like, you always hear these books about like, there was, there was one post I saw on LinkedIn yesterday. And the guy was oh, like, LinkedIn can be quite toxic for that. Oh my goodness. And it was this guy that he was like, I'm going to tell you about this financial thing. You know, he's like, first of all, you want to talk about how to get ahead financially? First of all, I refinance this home, first home. And then my second home, I do this. And then my third home, I do this. And I was like, you have three homes. That's a nice, yep. that's a lot of leverage. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on anyone, but the person is coming from this place of privilege, this place mm. of, of, um, the dice have rolled in their favor in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Not saying that they haven't tried hard. Not saying they haven't worked hard. Not saying any of that. But, and I, and I love that, that, that point, that, that the path is we, <laughs> it's really easy to connect the dots. Look back and connect the dots and you see it was all coming together. It didn't feel like that at the time. It was like John Kabat-Zinn, has um the, the 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 modern day meditation teacher has the great book full catastrophe living and i was like i love that title it's like that has been my life where mm. every last moment today was a beautiful day but it was full-blown full-bore chaos and i sat there and i looked at my friend and my friend, we were watching something and there was something came on that was like the secret. And he's like, you can manifest everything you want. That's what that person believes. And I said, that's great. But that doesn't mean it's going to make you happy. Happiness is, is this, this, this moment. And it's this choice to smile, that inward smile when everything, <laughs> you ever see that cartoon where it's got that character that's like in hell or like the room's on fire. And this is fine. This is fine. That's happiness. I, I, I mean, I, as a elder millennial uh, Gen X crossover, I think in memes a lot of the time. And right. you know, when you're talking about the, when you're talking when you're talking about the uh, houses, the guy's got three houses, and that's how he leverages his, his capital. Uh, there is at least in the UK media the classic meme of somebody in the broadsheets here in the UK media will write a story about how they managed to afford their new home, and there's always a point four or five paragraphs down where they mention the fact that their parents gave them fifty grand or whatever I've seen it was. That. Yeah, and it's the Simpsons meme, and it's to say that say the line, say the line, and then yay, this is the line. And it's and, and also you know the survivor bias thing is a really important thing. Uh, you know, there's that the famous. Uh, image of a plane having returned from combat and the engineers had mapped uh, the bullet holes this is awesome i'm i please share this i've read this the other day and i, I oh, really? it was really interesting i was like oh my gosh that's so cool please 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 it's such an important image it's one of those ones really holding your head and to, and apply it to so many so many things and also as soon as i've described that you'll recognize the image and when you see it coming up in your twitter feed or whatever you go oh chris was talking about that thing so it's a outline a top-down image of a, of a world war ii i think uh, it must have been two is it the plane, b17 or something like that it was a bomber certainly covered in red bullet holes and the yeah. uh, um Defend the Allies went, okay, well, th that's obviously where damage is being sustained. So let's armor those areas where those bullet points are, and then the plane will get back better. Um, forgetting that actually 
that plane still made it back. Yes. And so that plane could sustain damage in those areas and still fly its crew safely home. And it was actually those areas that hadn't got bullet points, bullet uh, holes in the bullet points. Jeez, yeah. too much corporate talk. Those plane, those areas that didn't have bullet holes in them on the plane that had returned back that were the fatal ones because those were the planes that didn't return back. Yeah. And that's a really important thing about survivor bias. When you, whenever you hear people talking about, you know, being slapped as a child didn't do me any harm or whatever, you're hearing from the guy who survived. You're not hearing from the people who didn't make it because they endured something that was unendurable and they crumpled. There was a, there was a really interesting study that came out about the battle of Britain and they showed, and it was a study on um, (coughs) fear and this invincibility. (laughs) I'll wait for you. (laughs) It was a study on fear and like this, this feeling of perceived invincibility. And what it was is that they, they, they had said that when a bomb goes off, you have three different responses. Yep. Um, one is the person who's right next to the bomb and they die, <laughs> you know, then you have the person who's a little bit that's very far away and sees it. And they're like, Oh God, that was scary. And they kind of maintain a level of fear. But then there's the person who's right next to the, the person who died, but didn't die. And those people end up with this God complex too, that they feel like, you know, nothing can touch me. And it's not survivor bias, but it is also related to our perceptions are not always correct. Oh yeah. You know, and the way we perceive things is, you ever see the the old Japanese movie, Rashomon? Mm Mm-hmm. And how it's all perception. And that, but that's why it's so important sometimes to be able to, <clears throat> in fact, not just sometimes, as often as possible, to get yourself outside of your frame of reference. So um, one of the podcasts we produce is a lovely show called Walk to Wellbeing, in which we clip a little microphone onto a guest, they go for a walk, and they self-interview themselves. We give them a series of prompt cards, and they take themselves through a, a, a sort of well-being exercise and reflect on their journey. And every person who does that we get to know them so well because they're on their own there's not a producer there there's not a presenter there they're just on their own and that experience of somebody being quite vulnerable being quite open and being in a place uh, that's comfortable for them where they walk regularly you get to know them so so well one of the things we talked about in one of the episodes recently was um it's so it's such a life hack. It's such an easy thing to do when you can, when you remember, when you're, when the cortisol can be controlled, when somebody's being an asshole at you, just give yourself a second and go, what, what series of events, however preposterous, got them to that place where that was a reasonable thing for them to do, right. that it was internally consistent for them? Because nobody thinks they're an asshole inside. Right. Everybody always thinks they're doing things for the right thing. And that's always a, a useful, selfish um, exercise to do, I think, because it, it takes, it calms my cortisol down. Yeah. <laughs> it means I'm not responding to what I perceive as aggression. Because you've got, even if the, the reason you come up with in your head is is absolute nonsense, you've gotten yourself to a place where, oh, I can see, maybe that's where they are. Maybe they're having a bad day or maybe, you know, I was the seventh person to do this to them in the day or whatever. It doesn't matter how ridiculous. If you can get yourself to that place, you go, okay, I can see where they're coming from. Yeah. 
That makes it, that's a great point. Now, let me ask you this. If you could go back in time and give advice to your younger self, what, what advice would you give yourself? I would say So I've been thinking, because I, I listen to the show, I understand this is a question you ask people. And I don't have a good answer for you. Right. And in part, that's because the answer will change day to day. But also because I, <laughs> I would, rather than saying something to younger me, I would quite like to give younger me a big cuddle. I'd like to give younger me a bit of a hug to tell younger me, you're doing great. Even if, as was the case, younger me was not doing great at all, um, either in my personal life or in the sense of, you know, making good choices. Because, you know, I, I just think <laughs> your younger self is always going to be like, yeah, whatever, granddad. <laughs> um, I don't think they'll listen to the advice anyway. And particularly as a parent, I feel this. Uh, you know, you, you have a daughter the same age, I think, you know, guiding, shaping that existence is an absolute joy, an absolute privilege. You get to see your kid figure out who they are in real time in front of you, which is a phenomenal privilege. But you can't tell them shit. I don't think right. you can necessarily tell a child, and whether that's yourself, you can't tell yourself something. But what do kids always need? They just always need love. They always need acceptance. They always need validation. They always need perhaps a little guidance, a little hand on the tiller, a little... Let's next time. Let's try this, but I don't think you can tell a kid anything. I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. I um, I love my wife to death. I love her to pieces. But sometimes we just tick each other off. And we've got this picture. She's got this picture on the wall of her as a child, and she looks so much like my daughter. And or my daughter looks so much like her. And in those moments that I'm most tipped off, I will walk up to that photo. So I see that little, little girl version of her. And I just remember that that same person is inside and it softens me. And so I love the statement that you just want to go up and give, man, little me was scared constantly. And, you know, my parents did the best they knew how, but I really feel like we all need that, that, that love and that kindness. And I, I think that's one of the most insightful answers that I've had about to that question. So I love it. Thank you. I think there's a ph phenomenal book. If anybody is a parent or indeed has parents, i.e. everyone in the world, a phenomenal book by uh, a psychotherapist, Philippa Perry, called The Book You Wish Your Parents Dread. And then there's a subtitle in brackets, which I forget. It's a phenomenal book. It's the only parenting book I ever recommend because it's not really about, you know, teething and changing diapers or anything like that it's about the relationship you have with your kid and the point that perry makes in it is this is the only thing that matters in the time you have as a parent is that you have a relationship with your kid and there's a few lines in it that are, that are phenomenal that, that always come into my head one in particular I'll, I'll give you is the line particularly talking about um daughters but about any kid obviously but of course, women are more at risk of uh, predatory behavior than boys are generally. And it's whenever your kid comes to you with a concern, however preposterous it is, you know, about a, a, a dolly not having a friend or 
I've only got 17 smarties or whatever, however silly that concern is, always validate it because mm. you always want your kid to know they can come to you with anything because if they don't know that, then the first time a creep puts their hand up their skirt or whatever it happens to be, they won't come to you. And wow. I think it's, it's, that's a chilling moment, but I remember every, every you, any parent will recognize this, this thing of kids coming up to you with just like absolute bullshit, nonsense yeah. re concerns about nothing. You're saying, doesn't matter. Go away. No, you have to hunker down. You've got to look him in the eye. You've got to give him a cuddle. You've got to say that sucks. And honest to God, Sean, that's what everybody needs to hear, what everybody wants to hear. I don't care how old you are, I don't care how successful you are, I don't care how many millions you have in the bank, everybody wants to hear. When something goes tits up, you want to hear, that sucks. I'm really sorry that happened. You're right to feel the way you feel. Come and have a cuddle, let's have a chat about it, or not, and then let's go on with our with our day. And that, that validation of somebody's experience and, and somebody's reaction to a situation, I think it's so important. That's mic drop right there, but don't drop mics. They're expensive, but wow, man, that's, it just, you got me thinking and I'm going to try to apply that starting tomorrow. Cause that is, that is profound. Go read the book. Well, brother, I, I'm going to, I will, I'm going to order it from a local book supplier <laughs> that I can find it from. I really appreciate this entire conversation, man. And I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and, and, you know, some of your wisdom. It's awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me, Sean. Thank you for reaching out. Uh...